Well, welcome again to Grace Hills Church as uh, we celebrate Easter. And when you think about Easter, uh, for some it's kind of a mystery. What is, what is really Easter all about? When you think about it, uh, some think it's uh, basically a holiday, but I don't know about you, when I think of a holiday, I, I think about getting a day off. Is that what you normally think when you get a holiday? And now, most of us don't work on Sunday, and so it's hard to call it a holiday when, you know, you're not going to get a day off on Monday, and you, most of you didn't get one on Friday, so it's, it's hard to call it a holiday. And then for us, we think about Easter, and we think, well, you know, really what it's all about. It's a family and friends day, as you think about just gathering around with people you care about, and maybe people you don't care about, but anyway, you have a great time together, and, and you just, you get together, and isn't that a great, uh, great opportunity to do so? But in some ways, uh, you can do that any weekend, to be together with family and friends, but sometimes you get pushed a little bit, and it's a great opportunity just to invite people to be around with you. In fact, uh, Alice told me we got over 20 people coming to our house after the services, and and if you don't have any place to go, I guess you can come to our house as well. But, uh, but we're, we're excited about being around with family and friends. In fact, i got to call out one of my friends. Kyle, just wave your hand. Kyle, I play pickleball. Everybody say hello, Kyle. Hello, Kyle. I, I, I play pickleball with uh, Kyle often. And the only thing I don't like about Kyle is that he's a better pickleball player than I am. So, but uh, he's a great guy, and we have a lot of fun together. But hopefully Easter to you is more than uh, a holiday or a, a family friend day. Uh, and maybe, maybe what it really is, it's all about having fun. It's a fun day. In many ways, you can uh, think about that because often little kids go out hunting for little, what, Easter eggs. And it's a great time watching them. I was at an Easter egg hunt uh, yesterday, and I was really kind of disappointed because they only let ages 2 through 11 actually go for the eggs. But, uh, but anyway, it's great watching them find candy and do things like that. And after this service, we'll have opportunity for them to do that as well. But as I was thinking about having fun. I don't know if, uh, if you've heard some excellent Easter puns recently, uh, so I thought I'd begin with a few of them. What do you call a rabbit housekeeper? A dust bunny. What was the Easter, why was the Easter bunny so upset? He was having a bad hair day. What kind of music do bunnies like? Hip-hop, all right, you can figure that one out. Don't jump on my uh, lines here. Um, how, do, how, do, how do bunnies stay healthy? Eggercise. What day of the week do eggs hate most? Fridays. You're still jumping on my lines here. Okay, why did the Easter egg hide? He was a little chicken, all right? And then the last one, what kind of jokes do eggs tell? No, bad ones. All right, anyway, bad ones. <laughs> or you could take another line, yolks. All right, so, so as you think about uh, days like this, it's a great opportunity to be with family, think about this as a special day, and uh, maybe have a little fun uh, laughing with each other, or as some of you just did, laugh at each other. Uh, but hopefully you understand that really what Easter is all about, it, it's really all about Jesus. It's all recognized that 2,000 years ago, approximately, uh, there was a man that had been prophesied to come thousands of years before he came. And it was also told by Isaiah the prophet, who was writing 700 years before Jesus showed up, that this was going to be more than a man. The Bible talks about that when Jesus showed up, he, he came in the appearance as a man. Not that he wasn't a truly human being, but that he was more than a man. And Isaiah the prophet said that when Jesus were to come, that uh, a child would be born 
And they would give him a name. He had a numbers of names. But one of the names they would refer to Jesus would be Emmanuel, God with us. In fact, he would be known as Mighty God. And so uniquely, the Bible talks about this one who was to come. We call him the Christ and the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of David. He'd be one that the, they were looking forward to come that would somehow set up the kingdom, which would eliminate all the problems in the world. But the Bible was playing that one would come and he would be more than just a man. He would be known as, as God in the flesh, believe it or not. And he would come in a miraculous way. He would be born of a virgin birth, unlike any other person. Everybody else came the natural way. And then when he came, it would be well known that he would claim to be God. And either that was true or not true. But he always came for a purpose, and the purpose was that, as Isaiah the prophet said, that as you looked at us, we were in great need, that we were all like sheep. Isn't that a great compliment for us? The Bible calls us all dumb animals, all right? We were all sheep, and we'd all gone astray. We turned our own way, but the Lord caused the iniquity or the sin or the guilt and the shame that all of us have experienced in life, and it would be placed on this one who was to come, the Messiah, and they would name him Jesus. That means he would come to save us from our sin, and that everything would change because of this one singular life. So what is Easter all about? It's a, it's a holiday. It's a, it's a family day, friend day. It's, it's a fun day, but it's, it's a day about Jesus. But that's the what of Easter. There's also a, a why of Easter. Why did he come? He, he came to give us hope. Hope beyond the things that somehow often will just preoccupy our hearts and our minds. The things that happen in this, this life that happen to everybody. But there's a hope beyond this life. And so this morning, in the time I have, I, I just want to have a simple Goal And the simple goal is to, to really convince us all that, that really, there really is hope because of Easter and because of the resurrection. And so if you have an outline, you might have got one in the bulletin. This might help you out a little bit as uh, we kind of follow on. It keeps me in line to make sure uh, I keep on going on in the message and not get distracted too much. But really what I want to talk about hope and, and really emphasize that it is true that there really is hope because of Easter. The Bible puts it pretty plainly in a verse in book of the New Testament, 1 Peter 1, 3, and says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And how did that living hope come to be? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So today we're going to talk about hope, living hope, not a dead hope, not something that's somehow buried and not out of the grave. We're going to talk about a hope that really allows us to live and live it to its fullest. But if you're like me at all, sometimes I, I, I take a step back and I, and I have a contrarian look at, at things. And I want to say, you know, that, that, sounds, that sounds like a good pitch. That's, that sounds what you might, like something you might hear in a religious ceremony like this. But is it really true? And does it really have something that, that I need to have an experience personally? And so this, this morning what I want to do is I want to have a four-watt sermon. And hopefully it will shed a little light on Easter. The pun was intended, all right? And, and so I want to give you a four-watt sermon. And, and really what I want to talk about, though I phrased it a little bit different in your outline, I, I want to talk about what is hope? What really is hope? If it really exists, well, what is it? And, and then secondly, well, what, what benefit is it for me? What, why do I need hope? Thirdly, what should convince me that there really truly is hope? And then fourthly, if those things are true, then how do I get in on it? 
And though it's a four-watt sermon this morning, really I'm going to talk not only the what or the what of Easter, but I'm going to talk about the why of Easter and the how of Easter as well. So in the time we have, let's, let's jump into as we look at uh, there really is hope and what is it all really about? Well, first of all, let's, let's answer the question or ask the question, what, what kinds of hope are there? Because really, as you come to a place like this, and as you think about Easter and what it's really all about, you might ask yourself, well, if it's, if it's, if it's all about experiencing and receiving hope, is that only reserved for religious people or for people who follow Jesus or know Jesus and believe in Jesus? Don't people who, who don't know Jesus have hope? And the answer to that is yes and no. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus. You don't have to go to church uh, to have hope. But there is a kind of hope, I want to submit to you, that you can have without knowing Jesus. What are the two kinds of hope? There is a man's hope, and there is a, there is a hope that comes from God. Now, how would you define that? And we're not going to have a Webster Dictionary message this morning, but I, I want to give you some simple definitions to hopefully bring some light to what Easter is all about. What is man's hope? It's it's a confident expectation of what might happen. And and this is what we all need. You know, there's some sayings that really are striking about the necessity of hope, any kind of hope. Uh, It has been written, man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air. I don't know about you, but I can't quite hold my breath for eight minutes, but eight minutes without air, but only one second without hope. If somehow in your life there's the absence of of really any sense that what might happen is worth living for, then you might not decide to keep on living. You might not keep on keeping on. You might simply give up because there is simply nothing to look forward to. Whatever you're facing is more painful than, than giving it all up and just ending your life. And so hope is necessary, and so we look for it in so many different ways, and there is a natural way of receiving hope. One, if you can kind of change from being more of a pessimist to a, oh, you are a very sharp group here, right? If you can be more positive in your thinking and look for the silver lining in whatever is happening next, then you have a reason to keep on keeping on. And many people are very confident, and they're very optimistic and they're looking for the next good thing that, that might happen to them. I don't know if you were reading about or heard about this, uh, this last uh, golf tournament. There was a person who won a tournament that uh, was pretty famous. Who was that man? Oh, Tiger, Tiger Woods, right? He, he won a tournament. And, and for those who were his fans or were just, they just like comeback stories, they were so excited about hearing Tiger Woods uh, win the Masters Tournament. Uh, but there was a guy probably more excited than anybody else, and I don't know if you heard about him, but his, na- his name is... James Adusi. James Adusi is a 39-year-old man who has a wife. I don't know if he has any kids, but he, he's a 39-year-old man that is a day trader by occupation, which means basically he gambles on the stocks, okay? And, and he, was, he was looking for a payday. And so what he decided to do, at least according to his own account, he, he decided that he would put his hope in Tiger Woods. And the odds of 14 to 1 that it's possible that Tiger would win this last tournament. If you place a, a major bet on Tiger, you might gain a, quite a bit of money. Well, what he decided to do is he, he, he cashed it all in. 
Now, he had said that he had never made a sports bet in his entire life. But he gathered all the money he could, and he gathered $85,000 and put it all on Tiger Woods. And what he did, in fact, he even said in the interview afterwards that he felt, he used religious language there, that Tiger was predestined to win that tournament. Now, he didn't have a whole lot of confidence in his hope because he said, I was a nervous wreck all weekend, all four days of the, of the tournament. But if we all know the story. is Tiger won, and he pulled off the largest return for a sports bet in the history of Las Vegas. He got a return of $1.2 million. Now, why did he do that? Because he had a hope that Tiger would make less shots, is that right? Make less shots than anybody else uh, and win the tournament. Now, some of us might say, well, maybe that's the key to life. Maybe, uh, maybe I ought to cash in on a sports bet. Or, or, or maybe I ought to buy as many lottery tickets I can and, and win the lottery. Maybe, maybe I just had that as a hold on to my life to have hope that my future is going to be better than my present experience. But, you know, some people who actually cash in, what it does, it doesn't really bring them happiness. You know, they've done studies on those who win the lottery, and 70% of the people who win the lottery become bankrupt within 10 years. They, they lose their marriages, their family, their friends, and their life is more miserable when what they were hoping for actually happened. And so what I want to submit to you, if Easter is about Jesus and Easter is about being able to experience hope, hopefully it's not just man's hope of what might happen for you if things go right. See, the Bible describes hope in a completely different way. In fact, so, so, so profoundly that it almost, it almost pushes us to the levels of belief. Can this really be believable? Because when the Bible says we have a hope, it's not a, an expectation of what might happen, but what will happen. And hopefully we're going to see that this morning as we go through it. But let me just give you an illustration of that. A God hope is a confident expectation of what will happen. In Hebrews chapter 6, it is put this way. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. And I guess if you're going to put your hope in someone, you better put your hope in someone who's not going to lie to you. And God, whether he makes a promise or an oath, and that's the two unchangeable things here, at least the Bible describes the, the God of the Bible is, is a God who's not going to lie to you. Well, what is he, he going to do for you? We, we who have taken refuge, which where, where, are, where is your place of security? Where is your place of confidence that no matter what happens in your life, that, that you know that, that God has you in his hands, or your life is protected, or you can put confidence in that? We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us, which is that which God wants to give us, a confident expectation of what not, not what might happen, but will happen. And this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. Now in that, it kind of gives you a glimpse, and we'll see in other places as well, but that, that God wants us, as we think about who he is, that we can put our confidence in him, our expectation in him, that whatever our future brings us, 
We know that, can, that we can expect God to be there no matter what we go through. And ultimately, in the future, it's going to be so much better than we have now. I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a, in a world that's full of heartache and pain. I don't know if you got up early this morning. I did and uh, heard the news about Sri Lanka. I don't know if you heard about that. Uh, early as they were in their, just starting their Easter services, there were bombs that went off, and over 200 people died, and 450 people were injured as they were celebrating, celebrating Resurrection Sunday. We live in a world where there's, there's evil and there's pain, where all kinds of things can happen to you or to loved ones. And you think, well, how can I have hope when I, when I don't know what's going to happen to me or people I care about? Because when you put your hope in the living Christ, no matter what happens to you, you know that your future is settled with him. There's an anchor for your soul. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a sailor, but I've been with people who do sail. You know, I, I've driven some boats, not very particularly well, but I've, you know... But if, you, if you're in a place where you need to secure your position, what do you do? You drop, you drop anchor, don't you? If the anchor is sufficient, what happens, no matter what happens on the lake or the river or on the sea, it will secure you to the spot which will keep you and your boat in safe, in, in safe ways. And really that's the invitation that Jesus has for us. No matter what we're going through, have gone through, will go through, no matter how good it gets or how bad it gets from a human perspective, is that God can be the anchor for your soul. Well, that's, that's the what is, the what is hope, right? and the, the kinds of hope. There's man's hope, and it, it will do some good for you, be more positive than the negative, be more optimistic than pessimistic, looking for the silver lining, all the things that, that can somehow make us look ahead with some kind of uh, direction and sense that it's going to turn out all right. Or, or you can have God's hope, which means I'm selling everything for you. It can be the anchor for your soul. Well, is that really what can give me some ideas of what that might really look at like? And so I want to talk about what, what can you expect when your hope is in God? And here's some things that God says very plainly. And it really is rooted in what the Easter week is all about. Because when your hope is in God, number one, you can know for sure that you have your sins forgiven. The Bible says in Acts 13, this, therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed to the law of Moses. Now, that's kind of biblical language to simply say this. You're freed from trying to somehow measure up to God on your own. You're freed from whatever your to-do list, your moral compass. And we all fall short, don't we? And if you don't think you fall short, if you're married, just talk to your spouse. And if, you're, if your spouse isn't honest with you and you have kids, just talk to your kids. If they're not old enough, they will get old enough. They'll show, out, they'll show you your imperfections. Or people who really care about you recognize that there are some things in your life that could really change for the betterment. And, and the Bible says that within our heart, actually, we, we desperately fall short of the living God. And, and what God promises us through the cross and through the empty tomb is that Jesus died for a purpose. 
He died for the purpose to, to pay the penalty for our sins. And sin is that which separates you from God. It separates me from God. It's those things in our life that we never measure up to when we break God's commandments. And if we, if we try to make it on our own, we'll always fall short. And what is the, how does the Bible describe what he does with our sin? The Bible says that he, he buries it in the deepest sea. He, he moves it as far as the, the east is from the west. Is that the east? I don't know which side that direction is. But as far as you can go from two directions. And, and then, it, then it explains this, but he will remember our sins no more. And so as we think about putting our hope, the confident expectation that this will happen is that when we face God, and we wonder, are we good enough to get to heaven, that our sin, which separates us from him, will be forgiven and has been forgiven when we put our faith in him. And related to that, you could put it this way also. Not only can you hope that your sins are forgiven, you can be convinced that you have eternal life. Have you ever heard this verse before? <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That verse has so many key truths even within each word of that verse. And some of you are turning your nose. You say, I'm not done yet, all right? You have to wait, okay? <laughs> you know, for God so loved the world. I remember when our kids were younger, I would... I'd want to convince them how much I love them. And I'd say, how much do you think God, uh, that your dad, dad loves you? Do you think he, he loves you this much? Does he love you this much? Does he love you this much? Or does he, does he love you this much? And, and that's what we need to recognize, that God demonstrates his own love to us and, and not sending us a text or an email or someone else to, to tell us, but he came himself. And he so loves you. That's why, that's, why, that's why Jesus came, to show us his love and to demonstrate it by dealing with that which separates us from him. But when I think about putting my hope in, in Jesus, it, it's not only to, to get quantity of life. When I think about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life, I, I'm thinking that's quantity of life, right? Well, what happens when I die? And and we just had a church member pass away last week. And as a family are going through the grieving process, and there's going to be a service in a few days, you know, what gives them hope is that their loved one is going to be in that place as God has prepared for those who know him. And that's the confident hope they have, that expectation that when your sins have been forgiven and you received him by faith, you know your future has been settled. But as you think about the Jesus of Easter, he, he came not only to give us quantity of life, which is eternal life, but he came to give us qu- quality of life. The reference is there. It's not typed out. But in John 10, 10, it says, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. To take your life and give it purpose and meaning, to give it what it's all about. So as you think about what do we get when we put our hope in, in the living God of hope, number one, we get forgiveness of sin, which separates us from him. Number two, we get eternal life. Thirdly, uh, you can have your prayers answered. In Psalm 38, 15, very plainly, it's, it's a verse we can read and all understand. And let's be honest. Sometimes you read the Bible and you say, I don't get a whole lot out of this book. 
There's a lot of pages in here, and there are not a lot of what? Pictures, right? Yeah. Where, where are the pictures? I need the pictures to understand this book. There's some verses in the Bible that are hard to understand, and that's why we have small groups. We have places where people can talk about the Bible and try to understand it together. We all need help understanding what the Bible has to say. But there are verses in the Bible that are pretty plain on the surface there. And this is one of them. In Psalm 38, 15, it says, For I have hope in you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord my God. I'm so tempted to explain Psalm 38 because Psalm 38 is an interesting psalm. I mean, this is a great verse. My hope is in you, and you'll answer. But in Psalm 38, the writer of the psalm is like a lot of us. He was going through difficult times. And when you go through difficult times, usually there are a couple simple ways to explain it. One is someone's messing with you, or you've been messing with other people, right? Or someone else's mess up, or it's your mess that you've created. In Sri Lanka, there are others who have posed death and suffering on others. But there are other times, and this was the writer of the psalm, he, he recognized that it was, it was his cause for his own pain that brought him that place where he cried out to God. And, and sometimes the reason we don't, we don't run to God is because we're really afraid or concerned that he wouldn't want us if we ran to him, right? We're so filled with our own guilt, our own shame, or our own apathy for so many years in our relationship with God, we're thinking, well, why would he care for me? Because I've ignored him all my life. But the psalmist here said, look, as I came to my, my deepest need, I recognized that when I go to God, he will hear me if I cry out. And isn't that one of the, the great experiences of life, that when you talk with someone, someone you really care about, that you, you know they're listening, right? You ever had the opposite experience where you're talking and they're not listening? which usually happens to me every Sunday. I'm talking, you're not listening. You know, <laughs> you know I mean, that, that is, that is a you know, heartbreaker, right? That you're communicating and no one's listening to what you're communicating. But God never does that. He always hears. So, so why would we want to experience the hope of Easter? Because it gives us forgiveness of sin. It gives us eternal life. It gives us a God who always hears us. Now, he doesn't always say yes to our prayers. Let's just be honest there. But he always hears us. And then fourthly, uh, this is a great one. This is kind of an all-encompassing one, Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope, uh, and that's a great name of, for God in terms of his character. He, he is the God who gives us an expectation of what will happen because he always fulfills his promises. He never breaks what he says he will do. Now may the God of hope fill you with what? Fill you with all joy and peace. How? In believing so that you will bound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you need to understand that the, the Christian thing is not primarily a religious thing. You, you got to get beyond that. It, it's not about doing ritual to somehow get God to somehow you know, jump on your side. Because no matter how, how religious you get, it's never going to be enough. But to understand that, that God wants to know you. He, he wants to wrap his arms around you. He wants to direct your path. And he, he doesn't, in fact, some people run from God because they're afraid not only he might not want them, they're filled with their own guilt and shame, but sometimes they run from God because if I run to God and I give my life to him, he'll make my life not better, but he'll make my life what? Worse. Why, why, why would I want to try to follow after God? Because he's going to make my life worse. 
Now, let me just be honest with you. Falling after God doesn't necessarily make your life easier. It might get harder. But it's always better. And that's what he means. I'm going to give you joy. And joy is more than happiness. Happiness is all tied to circumstances. Joy is all about no matter what's going on, you're experiencing life to the fullest because you know that God who created life and, and you can see it from his perspective and he can lead you step by step. And you can experience peace in, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of questions. And, and, and I hope, hope you have questions that you haven't just kind of put your, your journey toward God or your journey in God on the shelf is that you have questions and, and God invites our questions. But in the midst of questions, he gives us peace that we can come to him and he has the answers. And he wants us to recognize we can have not only the peace of God, which is the calmness of spirit no matter what we're going through, but peace with God, which means we're no longer on the opposite side, we're on his side. The treaty has been signed in his blood and, and we can know that, that we're at, at peace with him. We're no longer his enemy. So why would we want to have the hope that's found in Easter because let's look at it. It's, it's that which promises eternal life, forgiveness of sin, one who answers our prayers, who always listens to us, who gives us joy and, and peace. And then just real quickly, he's the one who gives us guidance in life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We need God to give us guidance because quite frankly, we go down the wrong path all the time. Well, this morning, what I've tried to do is, is to give you some, some of the what's, the what's of Easter. You know, what is that which Jesus came to give hope? What is hope? There are different kinds of hope. There's man's hope and there's God's hope. What are the benefits of, of having hope in God, eternal life, forgiveness of sin, the answers of prayer, God listening to you? It's, it's the guidance he will give. It's, it's the idea that he will give you joy and peace. But it does beg a question, doesn't it? The question, why, why should I believe this is true, that there is hope? And I want to say very plain, there's two primary reasons. So after this Sunday, after Easter Sunday, oh, and by the way, in case somebody didn't know, we have church next week too, all right? So uh, there's, there's church next week. We're going to go through a series really dealing with the whole issue. Are there reasons to keep on believing there's hope? Are there, are, there, are there reasons to be convinced this is all true? But I want to kind of give you a, a look into it real briefly this morning because as you think about why you should believe, number one, it works, and number two, because of the resurrection. But I've asked Jeff to come up here and just share with you how the resurrection, how Jesus has given him hope and how it's made a difference in his life. Give Jeff a warm response as he comes. Cindy asked me this morning, are you nervous? I said, no. She said, you remember the cartoon where the heart's going like this? <laughs> it's kind of going like that. <laughs> well, the message is there really is hope. I'd like to add to that to change your life. There really is hope to change your life. I can bear personal witness to three things the Bible says about Jesus that completely changed my life. The first thing is that Jesus said the way to heaven is believe and repent. Believe what Mike has clearly laid out this morning, that Jesus was prophesied, he came, 
He willingly laid down his life to pay the price for us. And then in faith in that, we have the promise of eternal life. But not just to believe, but to repent. Turn from the way you're going. If you're going in a direction that's different away from God, to turn around and head back towards God. That's the first thing. So I accepted Jesus when I was 19 years old in, uh, in downtown Los Angeles on a street corner in, in L.A. I uh, got married when I was uh, 25, I believed. Had two great children, raised them in the church, but uh, things were not really going. On the outside, it looked really good. On the inside, things were not really going really well. I struggled with things like contempt, envy, jealousy, um, bitterness, uh, really affected our relationship. Um, I manipulated conversations, trying to say things that I thought people would want to hear. Uh, I um, uh, was uh, passive-aggressive in our relationship, and uh, worst of all, I was living a secret life of drug abuse and other related nonsense. Uh, it really affected our life that, to the point that after 23 years, uh, I left. I walked out. I was heading in the direction of divorce. Cindy would not give a give up. Um, she had friends that told her, why don't you just leave and move on with your life? And she wouldn't. She, uh, <laughs> she prayed for me. She prayed for our relationship. She had friends and family that prayed for us. And... Um, and my brother uh, soon after said, you know, Jeff, I, I know you're struggling. Um, it sounds like a spiritual issue for you. And, and that was it. I, I, I just I broke down. It was right down here in front of Ralph's uh, supermarket. And at that moment, I decided, you know, this direction I'm going towards divorce, and it's a, it's a dead end. There's nothing there. So at that moment, I decided to turn around uh, and head back towards my marriage, back towards, uh, back towards Jesus and so now I had believed and repented. Second thing Jesus said was that um, he would send the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin. Well, it wasn't long after that I got convicted, first by the Holy Spirit and then by the Costa Mesa Police Department. <laughs> DUI, the smoking pot in my car. I tossed some of it out of the window, and that was destruction of evidence. So that came with a 90-day uh, sentence, which fortunately I did in home confinement. Um, so that was the path to my renewal. Uh, the third thing is that the Bible says that anybody who's in Christ is a new creation. The, the old is gone and the new has come. Well, it, it didn't happen right away. It was certainly a process. But I stand before you uh, 15 years later, a completely new creation, a changed person. Uh, that contempt, the bitterness, all that nonsense, completely gone. Um, I think the main thing was that the, it's not so much I'm a new creation. I'm the creation that God always intended me to be, that I knew was there. But I had heaped the worldly stuff on top of it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I defined love. I defined relationship. I defined everything by the world standards. And now all that stuff has been peeled away, and I'm left with my relationship with God. And I define things by God's standards now. And I'm happy to say that this year we'll celebrate our 30th 8th anniversary, 
And uh, I love her more than I ever have, uh, ever, uh, ever could before. And so if you're here today and um, you are wondering if there is hope, Jesus also said, I stand at the door and knock. Anybody who opens the door, I will come in and I will live with them and be in the relationship with them. If he's knocking on your door, I encourage you to open it. There really is hope. God bless you and happy Easter. I think I know, I've known Jeff now for about a year, a little over a year, and it's interesting, this is the first time I've heard his whole story, and, and, and really knowing Jeff for this last year, I would never have expected this is where he came from, or some of the obstacles that had to happen for him to recognize that his hope had to be fully and completely in Jesus. And as you think about it, it's really a, a testimony that Christianity has got to be real, because how would you explain the, the journey and the path he was going on and the about a face change that happened apart from Jesus changing his heart. And, and whatever you're going through, it might not be the exact same path that, that Jeff was going through, uh, but whatever it is, is that, that God can bring you to himself and change everything and change it for the good. So as we think about the hope of Easter, it's not only about what it is and, and why it's good for us, but how can we be sure that it's true? How can we be convinced that it's true? And it's because it's worked. It's worked not only in 2000, uh, uh, the century of, of the 2000s, but all through the centuries, lives have been changed. And the only common denominator is that Jesus invaded that person's life. They submitted their will to him, and he began to direct and guide them through life. The, the other reason we could be convinced in terms of it being true hope. It Not only does it, number one, it works because it is true. And one of the reasons we know it's true is because of the resurrection. The Bible actually, kind of taking from the beginning of our message, it, it, it puts all its chips on this one particular wager. And the wager is what happened when this man named Jesus, who was more than a man, who claimed to be God, the Son of God, the Son of David, the fulfiller of all prophecy, how do we know that's true, the miracle worker, the one that, that people would leave everything to follow him? How do we know that who he claimed to be was really true? Well, he went to the grave, and three days later, he rose from the dead. This is what the Bible says about the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 through 19. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. So basically what you could say is everything we've talked about already in the service really is not true. Don't believe it. Don't, don't buy into this. And then it goes on and says this. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So loved ones that have died and, and, and we're wondering what happened. Well, they just cease to exist. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. That, that's putting everything on that particular wager, isn't it? That if the resurrection didn't happen, then don't believe this. But there have been many men throughout the history of, of uh, mankind since Jesus is here have started as doubters, as skeptics. Just to give you a few, uh, literary genius C.S. Lewis, maybe you've read some of his stuff. Uh, he didn't believe, and then he, and then he found Jesus. Lawyer Simon Greenleaf, Greenleaf, who was 
known as the greatest lawyer in American history, cold case detective J. Warner Wallace, historian Will Durant, journalist Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel, if you've heard his story, he, he was the editor-in-chief of the Chicago Tribune and the legal part of their paper. And his wife came to know Jesus, and, and just like Jeff needed Cindy to get his life around as far as her testimony, is that his wife began to prod him or encourage him to, to consider Jesus. And that's what really we're trying to do for you this morning, is help you to consider Jesus as more than just a religious figure, but the one who can change everything in your life and change it for the good is at least Stroll went out to debunk Christianity. And he ended up writing a book called The Case for Christ. And really the, the fundamental reason that convinced him that this was more than a hoax of history, but the reality of the resurrection was because he looked at Jesus and, and what happened 2,000 years ago. And, and you can look historically, and if you can believe anything in history, you have to believe that what happened 2,000 years ago, you, you have to have a, a lot somehow to figure out why it's not true. In fact, more things to figure out why it's not true than it is true. Everyone is convinced that Jesus, the man Jesus, was alive 2,000 years ago. And he, he went around Palestine preaching all kinds of messages. And there were all kinds of miraculous stories about what he could do. And he was calling people to follow him. And, and then the Roman Empire, with the, the Jewish influence brought him to the point where they saw him more of a threat to the peace in the, in the empire. And so they put him on a cross, and then he died. And, and they, they recognized that this, this man named Jesus died, and he was put in a tomb. No one, no one can argue with that. The other thing they can't argue with is that three days later, when they went to that tomb, there was no one in the tomb. And then as they looked at that, well, well maybe someone stole the body. Well, if they stole the body, uh, why did they steal the body? Well, it had to be his followers. They wanted to somehow get the benefits of following the people, following the one who, who was their rabbi and their teacher. But, but people will not, people will lie all the time, but they, they won't lie for that which gives them no benefit. All they did was suffer because of this, this belief they had in the resurrection. And now, yeah, there, there were so many eyewitnesses multiple times. How would you like to go into a case and have 500, 500, over 500 people testifying that what you believe or said happened actually happened? And so as we think about why we should believe in this Jesus and the one who came to give us hope, it's because it, it works. And we've heard that from Jeff. And we could have so many more multiple stories telling you about this today. Not only does it work, but it's true. And the resurrection is the... Is the, is the foundation of believing this is more than just another religious myth. Well, this morning what we try to do is we, we try to give some what's. What is hope? What's the benefits for hope? Why should we believe this hope is true? And then finally gets down to the point, well, what must I do to get in on it? What must we do to really experience the hope of Easter? Can I put it as simply as possible? I'm actually a pretty simple man. And as I think about this, you've you, you got to put it as simply as possible. And, and, and really, I think one way to, to understand this, first of all, you have to come to the point where you, you believe there is a God, and He loves you, and He has a plan for your life. And, and hopefully, we've kind of outlined that this morning. But how you get in on it is, is some steps you've got to take. And, and it's as simple as the ABCs. It's simple, but it's not easy. First, you have, you have to admit your need. And, and Jeff came to that, that, that place. 
the police department kind of helped him a little bit as they said, look, your, your life's a mess. And maybe your life's not a mess like Jeff's was. You're a big mess, Jeff. Anyway, is that, you know, our lives can be a mess in all kinds of ways that don't show on the outside, but it's on the inside. And you need to admit your need and turn from your sin. You know, secondly, you got to come to that point, you believe. You believe this is true, that Jesus did really exist. He, he did claim to be God. He was God, and that he died on that cross. And many people die on the cross, but when Jesus died on the cross, he was God who paid the penalty for your sins. And then thirdly, you got to make a commitment. When Jesus called people to himself, he called them to follow him. And so you, you got you to gotta come to that place where I, I admit my need and turn from my sin. i got to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And then I commit to follow him as my Lord, my leader, my God, and my Savior, the forgiver of my sins. And we want to close our, our time together, give you an opportunity to do that right where you sit. And if you want to come to that point where you know the Jesus of Easter, then I invite you to pray this prayer this morning. And make this commitment in your heart. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Every eye bowed and every eye closed. Uh, every head bowed and every eye closed. This, I want to give you the opportunity just to make that commitment to follow Jesus and to know him. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to know you. I believe that you came because you love me. Even though I fall short even though I sin, I, I, I want to turn from living a self-centered life. And I want to give you my life. Forgive me my sins. I want to follow you. Come into my life and change me on the inside. And I pray this, believing it is true. In Jesus' name. Amen.